Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions, raise your voices to the anthem, marching line, our mighty army, Wrexham is the name. Cross on all to Fearless in Devotion with me, Rhys, Tim, Andy and Liam. A mixed week for Wrexham, losing 1-0 in that six-pointer to Notts County and then an eight-goal thriller, I suppose you could call it, against Kings Lynn. Thoughts, Andrew? Um, least thrilling 5-3 thing I think I've ever watched. <laughs> what a, it's a scrappy one filled with moments of brilliance and moments of absolute nonsense. Most, you know, Some from our defence, most from the referee, it summed up everything about about non-league football. Really <laughs> comical, comical in in times. But, you know, at the end of the day, Jordan Davis scored another fantastic free kick in front of scouts. Apparently, um, mm. goal Atamayo. God, I think the boy can finish, Andrew. Yeah, the boy can too finish. close range, too close range. But he frustrates me for the rest the rest of the game. Yeah, it's like Monroe mate said about him this week. He said he's. He's not really a player. He's more an idea or a notion. So, like, <laughs> it's like we need a big man up front. So that's that fella. But really and truly, he ain't a great player. But I'll, if he buys us a promotion, I'll be the first to, the yeah. first to take that back. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was uh, Keats Ball coming of age, wasn't it? I think. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was. It was very pleasing on the eye. It was also partial to the odd heart flutter as well because you know we, we like to make things difficult for ourselves against teams um mm. with a bit more riding on it more than normal with the uh, the bonus offered by their esteemed chairman so yeah they were going to give it that extra 10 percent weren't they but you, know, we, you can only beat what's in front of you we, we've done it effectively um and <laughs> if, if you'd have said to me right you know it, it, you needed a win going into the last game of the season to try and secure a playoff place and and you take that win and do it handsomely and whack in five goals and look dangerous every time you take it. I know they're a poor team. They would have been relegated any other season, you know. So, yeah, really impressive stuff. However, you know, it, it doesn't matter now, does it? It's, it's on, to, on to Saturday and uh, hopefully uh, it'd be lovely to have a similar result, but, you know, we all know that's not going to happen. So in terms of the positives, well, I've now been blocked by Stephen Cleave on two of my Twitter accounts uh, for goading <laughs> our latest win. So that's always a plus point. Um, Jordan Davis gave us another belter of a goal. Uh, and despite being consistently slated by Andy Gilpin, gold on the oh. tail came through with two goals. Um, it's not consistently slated. I'm just on pointing the out. group, on the podcast. You can't reveal private WhatsApp conversations, Liam, because if, <laughs> if we start down that alley, we'll all be. They're, encrypt, they're encrypted for a reason. And what, what about calling up Omateo's mum and saying that he was rubbish as well? That was out of order. Um, now for the <laughs> negatives, I didn't actually enjoy that game all that much. You know, for a game where Wrexham scored five, I was having palpitations um, at some point, just didn't make life easy for ourselves. I think from a defensive perspective, two of their goals were pretty worrying. Um, but overall, I think we've just got to be positive and hope that it was a blip, so onwards and upwards for next week. Just just on, on that, just thinking about it now, was that the first time we've scored five in a game since the Salford match on Boxing Day? I can't recall. 
can't think of another time, yeah. Uh, We've hit four a, a couple of times. but Yeah, so we're looking at th- three years between those times. Oh, well, there we are. Happy days. Thanks, everyone, for your feedback on the Andy Morell podcast, by the way. Liam, what's the feedback you've seen? Uh, it's been really positive, uh, even on Red Passion of all places, um, people saying how honest Morell was, said about particularly about the mistakes he feels that he made in the playoff final, where we don't talk about that. Um, mm. And then also, this, I think people are quite interested to hear what he had to say about the budget under the trust and what happened to it. Mm. Well, on uh, correspondence, we've had an email from Andy Hughes. Now, it was sent before the Notts County game, which will explain uh, the tone of it, and that will become evidence. But anyway, I'll read it out. Hi, lads. Been really enjoying the podcast. Listen to them all in the last couple of weeks, like a trip down memory lane following the town. Thank you, Andy. Much appreciated. Uh, Talking about if Keats should be the man to lead us next season. I think he definitely should. Like others, I was annoyed by his reappointment after how he left, but think he has the team playing well now after an indifferent start to the season. I also believe he signs quality players, as he did first time round, bringing in Pearson and other experienced players, just waiting on Andy Cook's arrival in the summer. (laughs) It would be a bit of a Wrexham thing to do to go up this year when nobody thought we had a chance a few months ago. I think we'll be okay for the playoffs as long as we don't lose tonight against Notts County. (laughs) Uh, look forward to hearing what's next in store. Thanks, Andy. Um, well, I feel like this podcast is becoming a bit of a haven for advocates of Dean Keats. Uh, we welcome a variety of views. Please remember you can email us in at fearlessindevotion at gmail.com. All thoughts welcome. But what are your thoughts on that email, Tim? Uh, yeah, it's it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, the more and more, you know, the games pass by, the more there seems to be a bit of a, a change in opinion on Keats, you know, whether they should be here next season, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you can't argue argue with, was it one one defeat in the last nine games? That's a good run in any stage of the season, let alone the business end of it. So, you know, we've 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 come good when we've had to. Um, it's been a sketchy season off and on, hasn't it? We've had some weird results, um, as we as we've seen against Kings Lane or, you know, the debacle at Wheelstone. So it's been all over the place, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. If he gets us promoted, then it's hard to argue against an, ex- an extended stay, isn't it? Because the mm. argument is then, well, if you can do that with what is essentially a kind of a patched up squad with, with players he's had to bring in, as opposed to maybe wanting to bring in, then what can he do with a bit of money? So I don't know, but it's all this if, if spots and maybes at this point. So it's difficult to speculate, but you know, where Wrexham fans, our minds change like the wind, don't they? <laughs> they do seem to. Uh, but anyway, we've got a packed podcast in store for you today. A double interview special. We conducted the first interview with Maxine, the Welsh translator who broke the internet this week in the first promotional trailer for Welcome to Wrexham, the documentary which will be charting the start of our takeover by Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds. And in it, Maxine tells us how she got involved and gave us some very interesting information about what we can expect. Well, we're joined now by uh, freelance journalist Maxine Hughes. Now, I've spoken to Maxine twice uh, in my life. The first time was uh, in 
Istanbul, where Maxine uh, was telling us about an attempted coup by the army there, where they'd come into <laughs> their offices. And the second time was from a packed Washington Memorial, I think it was, during the George Floyd Black Lives Matter protests. So you've had an in incredible career. How the hell did you get involved in this? <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different to uh, your everyday news. Um, so I do uh, quite a lot of work in, in Los Angeles and uh, a couple of people sent me a flyer. Um, one of them actually was Gwen Vi Griffith, who, who you also know uh, oh, yeah. from the BBC, uh, saying oh, they need a, a Welsh speaker. Um, and uh, I got in touch with them and they had a chat. I, I was actually um, calling them to find out uh, for, for a friend. Um, and she said, oh, actually, because, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I wasn't really uh, sure what it was about. And I was just uh, trying to find out a bit more information. Um, and, um, yeah, they said, oh, well, if you broadcast, um, then, uh, you, you know, you're kind of what we need here. So I said, oh, all right, then. <laughs> um, and they told me a little bit about it. I didn't know at the time that... Uh, that uh, though they didn't tell me actually initially that that Ryan uh, Reynolds and Rob McElhenney were in it, um, and uh, she said I'll send you a script over. So uh, I said okay, and then she said oh and by the way I'm going to need all uh, I'm going to need a video off you and a read through by tonight. <laughs> I said oh okay then. Um, I was in Los Angeles at the time with a friend of mine who uh, who helped me out, and we we kind of did a bit of a, a practice run, and then I made a little video about myself in Welsh and English, um, and then my friend and I. Uh, read through the, the script that they'd sent. We recorded it and we sent it in. And, um, and that was it. I didn't think much more of it. Um, I got back to DC and uh, yeah, I got an email quite quickly actually uh, over that weekend saying, uh, we, we, we want to do a call, you know, we're giving you a call back. And this time we want to do a, a read through with a director. So uh, it's a new world to me, you know, I'm from news. I'm not from the, <laughs> from the whole acting uh, um career side so I've never really done much like this before and and experienced any of the the process of uh, casting so um I then uh did a because of COVID I did a, a virtual callback uh where I did a read through with the director of the promo um mm. and a couple of other people um and a couple of days later they gave me a call and said we'd like you to come back out to uh, to Los Angeles, to Hollywood, and film with, with Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was, uh, it was a nice surprise, obviously, to, to learn uh, what it was about. Um, you know, Wrexham's quite close to my heart because my dad's family are from Wrexham. My, my grandfather was from Wrexham. So, uh, you know, anything where I can support uh, Wales, but obviously put North Wales on the map is, uh, is something that I will be up for. So, uh, yeah, I was really excited. Awesome. I mean, you were saying that you're, you're not you're not really an actress, but there was just those little asides in it. I thought I thought, hang on, this 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 girl's done stuff like this before. So there's no, no sort of amdram uh, background in that. Um, well, I went to a, a school Brunellian in uh, in Old Colwyn, and right. um, uh, I'm not sure how much the school does these days. But back when I went, uh, it was kind of known actually for performing arts. Um, they had a, a very uh, active performing arts department. And um, I did a uh, performing arts A level, so um, I, you know, I've done. We, we did some some school plays and stuff like that. Um, but you know, uh, after leaving school, no, I haven't really done a thing. No, no, fair enough. I know. So I know you said that you you sort of read the script and went through with the director. Uh, were there any little changes you made to the script? Did you write the Welsh bits, or were they already there, or or there's something you say? No, I don't really think that, that would really that would really fit. 
Yeah, so they sent me the script initially, and I think what they had done, I'm not sure actually, but I think it, um, somebody in the US had translated it. Oh, um, no. so, oh right. So, uh, How was that? <laughs> uh, I mean, it was, you know, it was okay, but obviously it, it needed a few changes. So I, um, I, I rewrote it. Um, and then, um, and then I was kind of second guessing myself a bit, like, oh, does this sound right? So, uh, Mm. I sent it to my sent it to my brother-in-law Sean actually and said because he's he's great at, at writing um and I said you know have a look at this and he he okayed it as well <laughs> he's also right. from North Wales because I wanted to get it you know make sure it was it sounded really North Walesian you know and uh so uh I just um got Sean to take a good look he, he liked it um and then I gave it to the team and uh yeah and we, we decided to use it but actually um when we were when we were shooting it, uh, Ryan Reynolds particularly did a lot of the directing. I, you know, he he was oh, great, right. and and uh, I mean, there was a director, of course, but um, but you know, they were both Ryan and Robert both um, kind of having ideas, and and I thought Ryan particularly was um, was great at, at directing me, um, and we tried things in different ways, and then actually at the end of the uh, the promo, that that stuff's a kind of improv, so we we did the scripted stuff first, and then um once we'd finished that then we started to do a bit of improv and we were just having fun so the little bit that mm. you see at the end of the promo was just us having yeah. fun yeah yeah well well yeah. i think you stole the show in many ways on that <laughs> yeah. it's mostly the it's you know it's been the most commented thing i've seen on that it's it's not about those two guys it's about it's about you and those little asides and just the little just the little way you interacted with them really and i think yeah. it's been uh, overwhelming and positive They'll have well, to get they, back in. they made it easier. <laughs> yeah. They they made they made it easy for me. Um, but you know, as I said, for me, uh, you know, it's such an important thing for for the Welsh language to be heard um, yeah, outside yeah. of Wales. Outside of Wales, you know, um, you know, one of the things I I feel like I can give back to Wales right now is is obviously broadcasting on on Radio Cymru on on you know on BBC on on Esperac. So you know, it's been fantastic, and and I'll do anything to to support that anytime. What, what what are they like? Well, they they seem like a good laugh, obviously. Oh, absolutely fantastic! You could I couldn't have asked for nicer people to work with. They're they're brilliant, and I think what was um, kind of the icing uh, on the, the cherry on the icing? How do you say um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the icing were, on the cake? I think, but icing, we'll let you off with the that. Icing on there, you go. The cherry on the icing on the cake. It <laughs> um, <laughs> was that they genuinely are interested in Wales. Um, they're they're doing it uh, because they really do want to do something for North Wales. Um, it's not just a PR stunt. They they really care. Um, they they know so much about Wales. Uh, Rob particularly has, has been learning Welsh. Uh, he actually sang Hen Rad wow. and Hadai uh, Hen Rad and Hadai to me while I was on set. You're joking. Uh, I, I'm not joking. And he was perfect. He got it all perfect. Uh, oh he's a good singer. God. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they're not just putting on a show. They really, they really care. They're really interested in Wales. They're really defensive of Wales. And, and they were really um, concerned all the way through that we were making sure that what we were doing was going to come across well to the Welsh-speaking audience um, and that we were doing something that was positive for the Welsh language. They want the Welsh language to be heard, which, you know, is amazing to have Hollywood actors, you know, giving giving the Welsh language a promotion like this. Um, and, they, and they genuinely care. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. I was I mean, really surprised. Yeah, me, you've just answered two of my questions there. One of them was, are they serious? Yes, you just answered that. <laughs> they seem bloody serious. My, my other yeah. thing was, like... To people who see it the first time, and if they're maybe English, do they think, oh, man, this is probably a little bit stereotyping? So what I'm saying by that is, you know, 
they always think that maybe the Welsh are sort of talking about them behind their back. But from what talking to Reese earlier, Reese says it's very positive in the Welsh language community, how it's been received already. So do you think that's already sort of been taken care of? Um, I think it obviously helps that um, I do genuinely broadcast in Welsh. It's not just they haven't used mm. somebody from the US who's making fun of Welsh. Like, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. I do broadcast. Yeah. Um, I am part of the Welsh language media. Um, so I think obviously that helps. But I also think they thought carefully about the script. And we're not making fun of Welsh in any way. We're making, mm. I'm making fun of them. And that's quite obvious. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they wanted it to be like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there was ever any intention of anything but a promoting the Welsh language and being, you know, having a laugh and making fun of them. And they're, you know, they are sort of uh, guys that, you know, don't take themselves too seriously. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I think, um, well, I hope that everybody in Wrexham and North Wales and, and Wales gets on board and, you know, goes out to the, to the Wrexham matches and, and supports them. And listen, Maxine, we're talking just a couple of hours after this was released online, so we've nabbed you really quickly. Um, but I suppose the full um, gravity of it has it sunk in? Because I mean, I look—I was just the YouTube video that Ryan Reynolds posted. Within about thirty minutes, it had something like fifty thousand views or something, and you've been tweeted by Hugh Jackman, or Hugh Jackman said how much he loved you. <laughs> uh, it, it must be a bit, a bit surreal at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, it is a bit surreal, um, and it's just you know, it's just it's such a different experience for me. Um, it's great actually because I've actually got a, a film, a new film uh, that's on Espadarac this week. So it's kind of a, a, a very lucky timing to be honest, because I'm hoping that people see that and then they think, oh, maybe I'll, I want to check out what else Maxine does, and they see something that's maybe a little bit more serious that, that I'm doing, which will be coming up later this week on S4C. Oh yeah, it's about vaccines, isn't it? It is. It's called uh, COVID a jab on me. So uh, we did a we did a film. Jason Edwards and I did a film um, uh, last year um, called Trump America on me, which uh, was about more like you know, about American politics. This one is about um, about the vaccine and and how uh, it's being sort of received, and also how misinformation and the uh, kind of vaccine hesitant and also uh, you call it you know anti-vax movement is um, affecting people back in Wales. And what about uh, do do you have any other involvement in the documentary yet? Do you do you know anything about that yet, or is it just purely this promo? At the moment, it's purely the promo. Um, obviously, I'd you know be very happy to do anything else with the guys. Um, you know, yeah. I think the I think the uh, the series is is just going to be brilliant. Um, I hope everybody watches it, and I you know I hope it does its job and and puts Wrexham on the map. Have they got you a shirt or anything yet? I've got two young boys, Yori and Manu. Uh, Yori's eight, Manu's uh, three. And I am tonight going to get them. I'm going to go online and get them both a Wrexham shirt each. Yeah, no, That's great news. That's great news. <laughs> just for a bit of background, uh, Maxine, can we just ask her how you sort of ended up in, in America? Because you say you're from the uh, old Colwyn, are you originally? Uh, I'm from Conway. From Conway right. originally. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I came here. Um, I actually lived in America when I was younger. I went to uh, I went to college in America, and I lived here for several years. I actually right. um, was on a soccer scholarship, at football. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I didn't say soccer. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, obviously, here, here we call it soccer. Um, but I was on a football scholarship. Um, so I played actually uh, at university. I was at university in California. So uh, I'm not a stranger to uh, to football myself. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I was here, and I've been I've been living in the US on and off really since I was eighteen. Um, I came back here about 
five years ago uh, with work, um, you know, with journalism. So, uh, yeah, yeah I've, I've, um, I came here before Donald Trump got in. So I've, um, I've been here a while and I've seen lots of changes in this country. Just just one one last thing, just because it, it, it became evident they've actually not met each other. Was that the first time they'd met each other, do you think? I, it was, yeah, I mean, I don't know um, what what to say or not to say on this because I'm not yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. you know, part of the production, but I know that's that them meeting is was is part of the, the series. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, the answer to that is tune in and watch the series. And you'll, uh, okay, uh, find, very well done. Find out a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dioch and Vaur Maxina, Dioch Amnid, Kavreliad, Gadar, Fearless in Devotion. Thanks very much for doing an interview with Fearless in Devotion. We're very grateful for your time. And uh, we're, we're sure there's a triple act uh, in the offing there for the three of you. I think they're going to want you back pretty quickly when they realise they're not the same without your input. Dioch and Vaur Fantastic to hear from Maxine Hughes there. The trailer was great, wasn't it? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, it kind of dropped out of, no, out of nowhere. There was a bit, of, little bit of umming and ahhing as opposed to the the title. Everybody just assumed it was Wrexham as the name because of that, that being dropped mm. by the by the owners and everybody else. Welcome to Wrexham, which suggests it's more than just the football club, which goes hand in hand with the sort of community vibes that have been shouted down from the new ownership since the very beginning. Um. And yeah, I mean, I've seen the camera crews here, and everywhere. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the take on on the town is like, and and kind of what the expected domino effect of of Wrexham doing well will be. You know, it's it's just gonna it's gonna have a ripple effect across everything, really. But great, great trailer, as you'd expect. A lot of humour, a lot of dry wit. Um, you know, and it just came across really well. But like I said, it's completely out of the blue, well received by everybody. And importantly, um, not mocking the Welsh language, which I think they were keen to, to, to address with Maxine to make sure that that wasn't mm. the case. Yeah, what did you think of it, Liam? Absolutely loved it, yeah. I mean, I know I know it's what they do in terms of acting, comedy, etc. but it was just really, the tone of it was spot on, really funny, and everyone I've spoken to really who saw it said the same, even people that don't support Rex, and I was speaking to someone today, um, so they thought it was absolutely ace, and I think Maxine was definitely the star of the show. So uh, decent to hear from her. Fantastic to hear from uh, Maxine Hughes there. But now it's time for our second guest, uh, Spencer Harris, former director of Wrexham AFC. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Reese. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. How are you at the moment? Yeah, good. Um, Enjoying, enjoying, um, in, in, enjoying what is a, you know, knife uh, edge of the seat uh, season, uh, and it's going to go to the wire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it seems like it will. Also, apologies in advance for Liam's internet connection. Um, at the moment, we're looking at like a pixelated potato, and that seems to be what we look at most of the time. Um, but yeah. we'll... you have to change your Twitter handle to pixelated potato. <laughs> but. Here comes the laughter. The laughter tends to come about five seconds after whatever was said. Um, moving on from that, Spencer, tell us first of all, just 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 briefly, you know, what, what are your earliest memories as a Wrexham fan? How did you get into into supporting them? So my earliest memories was in in the seventies. I am that old. Uh, my dad, uh, my dad used to take me uh, to the games. 
uh, he'd sort of carry me over the turnstiles. And I can remember uh, in those days, because most of my life I've lived up in Koipoi Stroke, Monera, and uh, we, we used to park on the road on the way up to New Broughton, and the cars would be parked all the way up, up there. There was thousands uh, at the race course, and, and, and you'd just be walking through these huge crowds. And, and my dad chucking me up when Wrexham scored, and, and ever since then uh, I was smitten. And you know, supported the mighty Reds ever since then. What are your sort of favourite memories over the last sort of couple of decades since the seventies? Because you've kind of you've kind of seen it all then, haven't you? Really? Yeah, I, I'd say I was too young to remember the really good uh, side, albeit you know, in the early eighties, I, I can remember. Uh, Dixie McNeil, because it's such a striking name, right? Dixie McNeil, and then you meet your hero later on, and 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 he's a really nice guy as well. Um, so yeah, so so not too much from that era, but there's been some uh, real ups and downs over the years. Um, you know, in the uh, in the Brian Flynn years, we had some fantastic uh, times, FA Cup runs. Uh, going, I can remember the uh, the game away at South End on the last game of the season where we won 3-1 and Bristol Rovers scored in the 90th minute to knock us out of the playoffs on goal difference, um, you know, where we could have gone up to the championship that year and that was Fulham's rise under uh, Al-Fayed. So it, some brilliant, brilliant times, FA Cup memories and, and so on. Well, it's really doors, but I thought it makes sense now, as you, as you mentioned, FA Cup memories. We'd like to um, ask you to contribute a clip for our uh, History Only Tells a Story, where each week we take a look back through the archives for our favourite Wrexham-related clips. Yep. What is the one that you would like to give us, Spencer? Um, I'd point you back to a fantastic match from 1997. Uh, I was at the game. It's a quarter of a century ago now. It's, it seems a long time ago. But it was in the fourth round of the FA Cup, Wrexham away at Peterborough. It's my favourite ever away game. Uh, Ian Gwynne Hughes is commenting. Um, his brother, actually, Hugh, is a big uh, is a big Wrexham fan. I know Ian is as well. And Wrexham won 4-2 goals from Peter Ward, two from Kevin Russell and one from uh, Steve Watkin. But it wasn't just the fact that we were not all 4-2. We came from behind twice. The game had everything. Pitch invasions. There was 1,500 Wrexham fans on a Tuesday night over four hours away. It, it was just brilliant. I can remember being in the pub before the game and, and all of the singing. Uh, there was a guy in a in a Jim Carrey the mask mask in the Wrexham end, um, and when you know when when we scored uh, the final goal, the limbs. If you just watch the the video, it, it is a brilliant. Some really good players. Peter Ward was was playing in that side, as as was uh, Brian Hughes, and and some real Wrexham greats. Well, here is that final goal. Ward. Russell, Russell, oh, Kevin Russell, his second goal, Wrexham's fourth, and this cup tie has quite dramatically been turned on its head. And it's Kevin... Yeah, two good strikes by Kevin Russell, really, wasn't it, to, to seal the deal? Yeah, it, it was, and there's also a side piece to this, because if, if, uh, if you sort of Google Barry Fry's rant, um, 
in Barry, there was actually a rant at, uh, at half time that showed you a little bit behind the scenes of that game, uh, which you'll find at half time of him going absolutely ballistic with his uh, with his players. Uh, but but yeah, it was it was brilliant strikes. That the first from Kevin Russell was just magical. Obviously, you may as well fast forward a bit of time. Then let let let's go to when you became director, or when you got well. Actually, when you first became involved with the trust, how, how did that come about? Um, I, I actually I'd been involved in um, sort of doing things for the Wrexham Supporters Association. I'd always re- been really uh, really passionate about the club, and I got approached by. Um, uh, the great Lindsay Jones actually to say, look, you know, you seem you're, like you're really passionate. You seem like you've got a lot to offer. Would you get involved? Um, and I did. And and in the early days, even from the early days, uh, really heavily involved. I, I can remember, if you remember the uh, the Wrexham Village flats being built and the opposition to the to the flats at the time, I was actually the one who, who spoke in the council chambers on behalf of uh, the trust and the supporters against uh, the, the building of those flats all those years ago. And then the takeover itself, how, how involved were you in that process? Yeah, I, I was part of the, uh, what we called the big team back then. So one of the, the sort of five or six people who were involved in going to meetings and sort of steering the ship to uh, to take over the club. And and when we took, when, when we sort of, there was some uh, crazy meetings um with Stephanie Booth, um, absolutely, absolutely bonkers. Uh, n- never, uh, God rest her soul. But I, absolutely, uh, it was absolutely wild. I have to say. Uh, but we amen- we eventually got there, and uh, you know, when when we found what we were taking over, it wasn't in good shape. Just going back to that sort of point when you when you were part of the group looking to take over the club, was there ever a point where you thought? Hang on, this might not work. Hang on, this club might not might not survive. Were you always sort of quite confident that either you or someone will pull it out of the fire? Well, if, if you think what we took over was half a million of debt, um, part of that debt was to Ian Roberts, who had a charge over you know any windfall income that we had. So we, had, we took on half a million of debt, and and the club was losing three quarters of a million pounds per year. Um, you know, every year. So it was a basket case. It didn't have a single policy written. Uh, contracts of employment were very scarce uh, to come by. So, so it wasn't really legally compliant, nor was it in, in good state, to be honest. Um, so in, in the first three years, that was a, a real hard slog off the pitch to sort of turn that around. Um, and within three years, I, I personally wrote 50 policies for the for the club, um, but but as a, as a supporters uh, fan base, you know, it wasn't just me. I, I had a, a a good hand in it, but there's loads of people, and without the, the support, the, the fan base, we would never have done it. And we managed to get rid of all of that debt and become uh, break even within three years. You've mentioned the a lot of the benefits there. What you're proud of, obviously, that the trust did. Before maybe we ask you maybe some more specifics, is there Obviously, not getting promoted. Is there something that you regret? Do you have regrets about the last ten years at all? Um, I, I, I think. Um, do I have regrets? No, I, I'm. I'm. You know, it, it was the probably one of the greatest privileges I'll have in my life to be able to serve 
this community and, and its football club. So no regrets. The only real, you know, disappointment was that, that we never got promoted during our, our tenure, um, which is, you know, it's not easy. To, it's probably the most difficult. Um, so what I'm about to say isn't an excuse. It's a, it's a reason, I, I would say. Um, the, the National League is probably the most difficult division to get out of, given that there's only one promotion space and then the lottery of the playoffs. Um, you know, and it's for others to say whether we did a, a good job on the pitch or not. But uh, there were some, uh, as well as us not getting promoted, there were some highlights on the pitch, given that, you know, if we make the playoffs this year, and it's a big if, and I really hope we do, four out of the 10 years that the Trust were involved in, we would have reached the playoffs. Um, we had a 98-point season. Um, we got to Wembley three times. We kept the youth department going for 10 years despite having uh, no uh, income. Um, and, and I guess the biggest, the biggest, uh, the biggest thing about it and, and the challenge really for us on the pitch was you know, the, the level of income and spending we could do versus um, some of our rivals. You know, we had to turn around big losses in the first instance. And then when we got it onto an evil keel, we then had to take on the race course which was another loss-making uh, business of a, around a quarter of a million a year and turn that around. So we had some massive hurdles. And it's a bit akin like to, you know, I would say our budget was probably like a, somewhere between an Aston Villa and an Everton, um, if, if you talked about it in, uh, in Premier League terms. And therefore, you know, not many people would expect uh, Aston Villa to play like Man City or, or to win the league. So, so you know, the fact that we came so close um, a, a couple of times uh, is good, but it's still the biggest dis disappointment because it was always our number one aim. I suppose if you look at the season when, when you took over, it was like it was a side that Saunders had assembled. It seemed quite an expensive side in many ways. Um, yep. A lot of a lot of players on, on on quite large contracts, but when when Andy Morell took that side over, he did seem to motivate them, and he did seem to get them to a level that maybe maybe Saunders couldn't. But what I do sort of feel is, and maybe fans feel is, after that sort of initial push, things started to fall away a little bit. For example, like selling Curtis O'Bank, selling Lee Fowler at, at sort of key times. It, it, it's hard for a supporter to probably take because they look at those players and think, yeah, they're great. But I'm, what, what I'm sort of asking is, there must have been reasons at board level that you have to do that to try and stabilise that debt. Yeah, if, if, you look at, if you look at the amount of debt that we had and, and the losses then that, that we were trying to turn around. It was massive. Um, you know, when we took over, the club had virtually zero commercial income. You know, we, we managed to grow that over our time from, from virtually nothing up to between retail and commercial over to be bringing in over half a million pounds a year. Um, so, so we did a lot in that. But in the early days, you were trying to, to turn all of that around. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the reality was that the club... The number one thing was, you know, yes, we wanted to get promoted, but the number one thing was the club had to survive, uh, and you know that was the that was the harsh reality. You know, we 
you know, WeWork fans, I, I've explained to you, I, I've been going since I was uh, a very small child, you know, and, and, and given up a lot of my time for the football club. And I wanted promotion as much as anybody else, but everybody wanted the club to survive. And that was the, the overwhelming you know, and driving factor. And I think Andy Morell summed it up really, really nicely in, in your interview last week. Yeah, no, so Morell did sort of touch on the fact that he didn't really think he was supported financially maybe in the final year. He was trying to go out and get the players to keep that side on that level and couldn't really get them. Do you think that's a fair fair description, a fair point from him? No, I, I think I think Andy Andy's a, a great bloke uh, and a, a really nice man. And I think he, he, he spoke passionately and accurately. Um, you know, the, reali- the realities of the club uh, are and were, and any football club should be, that you can't spend out more than what you get coming in, especially under fans' ownership, because you, you haven't got a sugar daddy who can then sort of dip into, I, I've got a few million in the bank just to tide me over from a cash flow perspective. You haven't got that safety net, so you can't spend what what you haven't got. Um, yeah. and, and, and we never did. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it was absolutely the right decision. Yeah. He also mentioned that he felt that the trust, well, well, obviously the owners at that time were reluctant to sack him. Basically, was that was that a fair comment? And, and and you know, is it did it show a little bit of perhaps I don't know lack of ruthlessness, which I which I would say possibly would be understandable. Maybe just a year or two in, being unwilling to maybe sack a club legend. What I would say about um, removing anybody from their role. It, it's very easy on, on a message board or on a, on, a, on a tweet or whatever to say we need to get rid of somebody. Andy's a really nice guy, but take that out of it. He's got a wife, really nice, really nice wife. He's got three great kids, um, and and nobody should should take such a decision uh, really lightly. However, we we have been ruthless or we were ruthless over over our time. But but at that point, with Andy being a, a club legend I, th- I think his departure from the club it's never nice for anybody when they go right but I, I think for him him going and then going to Shrewsbury um I, I think gave an out to everybody both for uh, supporters for the board and for Andy himself so I, I think it, it was a it was a good out because Andy quite rightly himself said the results hadn't been great if we sort of like look at the one of the big, big criticisms that's levelled against the WST and their sort of the fan ownership of the club is, is the managers. And just looking through the managers now that you were pointing out, obviously Andy Morell was the first one. I think we'd probably say that's that's success. That's that's someone who got us very close to promotion and also gave us one of you know the greatest memories we can have in recent times of uh, of Wrexham. I mean, after that, a lot of people a lot of people were happy with Kevin Wilkin as well because he seemed to be an up and coming manager who knew a player. You know, again, the same with Gary Mills, even though that didn't work out. Is there sort of one manager that you sort of think ah that was that was probably a mistake? That was probably someone we we shouldn't have have, have gone near. Um. Hindsight's uh, great for everybody. If I talk about some of that, Kevin Kevin Wilkin. Um, I, I think if we'd have had, if we'd had five or six years to leave somebody grow in place, and Kevin had a great eye for a player, yeah, uh, he yeah. just wasn't the strongest coach, and he needed development and, and help and support 
over a longer period of time. One of the harsh realities of being fans owned, though, is that what you generate coming through the turnstiles is the biggest um, source of your income over the over a year. So let, let's say, for example, if, if you drop from a 5,000 crowd down to 3,500 at £11 a head, um, then you extrapolate that out over a 23-game season. You're talking somewhere in, in the region of between quarter of a million and half a million in lost income. That That's massive. So it, we always had to take decisions that, that would also think that we have to keep people coming through the gate because if we don't, then it gives us financial challenges that means we've got less of a budget the year after and it's a race to the bottom. So, But I think if we'd have been able to keep Kevin over a longer period of time and fans would have worn it, I think he could have done, uh, I think he could have done a really good job for us. Um, the, the, the ones that, you know, the, the one that I would really say uh, in hindsight was not the right decision was Gary Mills, but that was very much in, in hindsight, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you look at Gary Mills, you look at his record, you look at the brand of football he played. I can remember his Gateshead side coming to Wrexham and absolutely dominating us and everyone going, wow, what a side. Do you think there was enough homework done on Gary Mills off the field before? Um, I, I don't The first time I met Gary Mills was actually in the press conference. So, mm. uh, right. you know, I... I, I, I you know, uh, there was another couple of board members who went to Miguel, and that's not me deflecting away from from my accountability in that at all. And um, you know, I I voted my hand up for for Gary Mills the same as as everybody else. Um, but is it difficult? Can you can you know that what would happen would have happened? Difficult to difficult to say. What happened with Kevin Wilkin then? Because I mean, you know, the the, the rumour, the story is that it was maybe player power. I mean, can you give us a bit of an insight there into, into how that? No, I don't. I don't. I I, I don't recognise any. There was no player power that influenced the the board in that decision. The decision came after the FA uh, FA Trophy uh, final, um, and it was based on you know there was I, I think there was a challenge in you know were, was Kevin be able to get the best out of of the the group of players that that he had and, and coached them to the next level, I think given time and with his eye for a player, he he could have done a great job for us. Um, but you know, given the reasons that that I gave earlier on, I think you know the the right decision was made to to, to move on. You mentioned about the um, budget position, and I think we're all maybe more aware now of what it was at the time. But do you think there was enough sort of openness about the the budget position because we can all remember the infamous comments by Don Bircham about the war chest. I don't, I don't quite know if I felt that I knew what the situation was back then. I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm not going to speak for Don. Don can speak for himself. But, um, but what I would say is, you know, put. I'm, I'm going to. You guys are the board of of Wrexham Football Club. Okay, imagine you're you're the board, um, and you know that your biggest source of income is season ticket sales and getting people through the door, okay? When you're going to sell your your season, how are you going to do it? Because you know if you drive another 100 people in per game, you've got a much better chance of getting that 
just little bit better quality of player or that little bit better um, deeper squad so that you can drive that virtual circle and, and drive more income into the club and, and do it that way. So are you, are you, I'm not going to say we over-egged it because I don't think we did over-egg it. Um, but I don't think we ever came out and said, look, you know, our budget is, you know, you know, we, we're looking at a budget that, you know, we're going to do well to challenge for the playoffs or we're going to do, you know, if we make the playoffs, we've had a good season. We would never come out and say that because it was a race to the bottom. Um, and had you said that, less people would come. And, you know, I, I don't think that's being dishonest in, in any way because, you know, as I say, if we make the playoffs this year, four out of ten seasons with trust involvement, um, we'll have made playoffs. Is there a difference then between the expectation, I think, from some trust members that, you know, everything would be transparent? I suppose that you could tell them absolutely everything that's going on at the football club and perhaps the reality of running a football club as a business? I, I, yeah. Um, I think I think one of the things, just, just to, to go back to the budget situation and, and to give you to give you an insight into how challenging this league is, people wouldn't. Um, so you remember the season uh, Salford came into our league, right? Um, mm. uh, Leighton Orient won the league, Salford came second. They they both went up and they both had massive budgets, by the way, massive budgets. You saw that you, you will have seen the financial uh, situation. I think it was like something like a three million budget in National League North for uh, Salford. And then they bought Adam Rooney, et cetera, when they came into our, our league. Um, so, uh, so that Salford went up. Leighton Orient, I'm not going to say they were quite in the same league as Salford, but they had an extremely good budget. You had other clubs like Maidstone, who also had a good uh, budget, uh, went down that year. The next year, what do you think happened to the average budget in the National League? Would you say it went up or went down? Well, after Salford and... After, after that event, Salford and Leighton Orient had gone up, Maidstone had gone down. Did it go um, up or down? You'd think it has gone down, yeah. It went up, the average budget went up by £75,000 the following season. Is that, do you think, a lot of clubs thinking this is our chance, let's push the boat out a little bit? Because there isn't a big... No, I, no it's just that there's a lot of clubs in this division spending a lot of money. Right. <laughs> um, and clubs that you wouldn't believe are spending a lot of money, you know? I'm not going to go on and, and, and talk about other clubs and things because I don't have all of their details. But... There's a lot of clubs spending a hell of a lot of money in, the, in this division. And we've got a great ground. We've got the best fan base, I believe, in the division. Um, and we've got the most passionate fans, I believe, in the division as well. Um, but, you know, the, the income that you can generate from that alone is not comparable, <laughs> is, is the, the, you know, the honest reality. No, fair enough. You you become Spencer somewhat uh, of a controversial figure. I think that would be fair <laughs> to say, wouldn't it? And I, I I I'm not asking you maybe if you recognise that description. I'm probably saying that you are. I'm just wondering if you think why that is. Is it is it because you were just the, the board representative for, for a time where where things were difficult? Um. Listen, uh, for I, I can't speak about what other people um, 
think about me or you know the majority of people don't know me I'm I'm, I'm actually an introvert I, I spend you know I'm, I'm a family man um, I like to stay private but one thing I I'd never done is shirk a challenge or or stood up to be counted um, you know I think very often I've been the lightning rod for criticism when you know everything's you know everything is is down to me um, because I'm the only one putting my head above the parapet to be shot at. Um, but so controversial, I, I don't I don't think controversial is a is an apt description. Uh, personally, I, I think I think there is um, there, there will be people who who uh, who when things went wrong in terms of we've been in this division for too long and lost belief that fans ownership could get us promoted out of this division needed somebody to blame and 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 maybe you know maybe i i was that person but you know if if you then start to look though at what the trust did achieve over its time i think i think that you know, I, I don't think it's that bad a record as as trust ownership, and we can talk about some of those successes uh, as well as some of the challenges, right? Just definitely. When you say when you say about being the lightning rod, did the criticism ever go too far? Um, I, I think um, when when people uh, when somebody writes to your employer to make up uh, claims about you. Um, and, uh, you know, when people are making fake social media accounts about your children um, and, uh, you know, when you're getting abuse and I, I, I'm not going to use the word threats, but when you're getting some really quite awful abuse through social media straight into your lounge, I, I would say that that's going too far, um, you know, for for somebody who's only ever loved the club, never took a penny out of it, and only ever has wanted what's best for the football club. Spencer, did did that ever reach a point where people couldn't see the difference between Spencer, the Wrexham fan, and Spencer, WST, face of WST, if you like? They, they couldn't see that separation. Therefore, did the, the criticism... Um, and, and the harsh words that were coming your way get to a point where you felt, I can't do this anymore, I, I'm just going to step back. Did it ever reach that sort of, sort of tipping point for you? Um, I think there would be a small number of people, and I could I could name some of them, but I won't, who, who, uh, who confuse resilience with ego. Okay. Um, and, and I, I don't have an ego. If you if you work with my team in work and things like that, you know, I give other people a platform. I, I you know, I spend a lot of time. Yeah, so I, I don't recognise that. But I think what I am is resilient. Um, and you know, in in the absence of anybody else stepping forward to do it, um, what do you do? Yeah. You felt you had no choice in that respect then because... Well, no, just... you've always got a choice. I, I'm a vo I was always a volunteer. I could have walked away at, 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 at any point, um, you know, and, and, you know, being proud of, of the contribution that I made. But, you know, I made a decision to stay and to try and see the job through. And, you know, ultimately, you know, we 
we've seen it through quite well, if you think of the ownership and where we've headed now. And you mentioned the resilience, and the resilience can get you so far, but we've all got a tipping point. So I was just merely trying to figure out, without looking to victimise anybody, did, did, it, did it ever reach a head where you thought, I just... I, can't, I don't need this in my life now. As much as I love it, I don't need it. The, the lowest point, the lowest point, I would say, in my involvement with the football club, well, there was, there was two. Getting some abuse inside the ground was not nice. Yeah. Um, I didn't hide from it. Uh, um, so, I, you know, when I thought, and the next day I knew on the, on the Sunday morning, I got more work, Rex Football Club work to do after getting that. So that was one low point. But I think that that, that wasn't low. The lowest point was when we, uh, when we lost away Ebbsfleet after they hadn't done a warm up, um, and we went bottom of the bottom of the league. Um, that that was just, you know, I I felt, you know, I if if a ground could have swallowed me up and and I just gone, I, I think I'd have taken it at that point. Do you want? Do you know what? As grounds go, Ebbsfleet is probably the best ground for that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, can we get on some positive? Yeah, no, no. Well, I was about to say. Yeah, I was about to say that. I mean, let's say, let's say, for example, Wrexham got this season, or the takeover goes great. They sign some great players next season. They go up next season. Will history look back on the WSC stewardship more fondly than it does at the moment? And 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 why should it? Well. Let, let's let's talk about what happened in the WST uh, ownership. And I think, um, and don't confuse me with WST ownership. No, WST I don't know. Yeah. ownership is all of, you know, I'm assuming most of you were members either all the time or, or, or some of the time. So it's as much you guys as it, as it is us, if you look at it. So I've already mentioned, right? Turning around that business in the first three years from where it was, it didn't have a right to exist, really. It should have gone out of business, and we saved it together. Um, we ran the club sustainably for 10 years. I chaired all of the board meetings in that in that time. I was never chairman, but I chaired the board meetings. I wrote all the agendas. I spent countless hours uh, doing it. We established the club with a Welsh language base, and that's... Uh, you know that that's uh, you know being carried on by uh, Rob and Ryan now. Think about the community things that we did, um, giving away charity uh, tickets, um, all of the things like the, the UK's first autism-friendly match in 2013 against Walkin, an autism-friendly stadium, um, subsidised away travel for for wheelchair users, audio descriptive commentary. Uh, thriving Junior Dragons, uh, 20,000 kids engaged every year by the Racecourse Community Foundation, um, food bank collections. Uh, we were, Andy, you were involved in this. You know, we were the, the North Wales Community Business of the Year in, in no, 2015, you know, sponsored by the Welsh Government. So that, that that's, you know, some of the community stuff. Then you move on to things like the relationships. When we took over the, the, the club, the relationships everywhere were shot with, with all civic um, establishments. So we built strong relationships with Glyndwr University, with Wrexham Council, with Welsh Government, with the FA, FAW. Um, you know, and ultimately I ended up owning all those relationships. Nine Acre, people would say Nine Acre wasn't a success, but we had nowhere to train. And we managed to get somewhere where we had no money and, and somewhere that, that we could train at zero cost for the club. 
we got the race course back on a 99-year lease. Our previous owners had, had lost it, and we got it back on behalf of the, of the fans and turned that loss-making business around. We brought international football back to the race course. A full men's international, ladies international, under-21, the home of the Wales under-21s. Um, we brought a pre-Euros training camp and got 4,000 kids into the ground. We brought International Rugby League back to Wrexham. We put on concerts, a sellout cons concert with the Stereophonics during the Euros in 2016. Ollie Murs. Uh, and then you move on to, to other big things, ground redevelopment. So in your first fanzine, um, I'm not sure who wrote the article, but you talked about a four-phase plan for redevelopment of the cop end. Well, who do you think put that plan together? You know, the presentation that, that you referenced, I wrote that. I got Alan Roberts to take the, you know, the photographer to take all the photos of the of the, the place falling to bits and things. So I would really strike home. And, and that four-phase plan, form a partnership, done, tech. Complete feasibility, done, tech. But secure the land behind the cop through public money, done tech. Now we're on to the Western Gateway. And I, you know, I've been a part of that all the way along. And, and that's moving. And you know, if we don't I if I was a betting man, red or black, I would put probably my house on that we'll have a brand new, at least five thousand seater cop in the next few years. Um and, and that 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 was us and and, and me putting that strategy together. We drove the highest average attendance at the football club in in over thirty years, averaging five thousand fans in 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 the stadium across an entire season for the first time since we were in the championship. Better than any season when we were in, in League One, as well, including the seasons where we were uh, challenging for promotion to the championship. Um, we created and worked with great people like Carl uh, Hogan to create a media team that not just um, delivers uh, media you know, on a Saturday, but actually extends people's link to the club right the way through the week. And the content and output of that is as good as anything from volunteers, as you'll see in, in League One. We used we got Glindy University students and gave them experience and set them on, you know, other pe people who were using, uh, who were doing other, you know, the Rod Rat, Ryan Red with Rich Fay, he came through our media team and now got a job following Man, Man United through, you know, partly through some of the stuff that, that we helped him with. We left the club debt-free after 10 years, after, you know, debt-free after a global pandemic where we couldn't generate any income for almost an entire year and, and left the club completely debt-free. Free. When you look at and compare that to just in the last week, Premier League clubs, the average losses over that time period is 1.25 million per week. An average loss in the championship is £660,000 per week. We attracted two philanthropic Hollywood superstars to purchase the club. People who not just have got the best interest of the football club, but the town and region and the wherewithal and the connections to take the club forward. When, you know, and you look at that, I managed that process. Um, you know, we couldn't have done it without Rob Parry. 
he, you know, he did all of the legals and managed that. We couldn't have done it without Mark Williams through all the due diligence. But, you know, when you look at all of those things, and I know I've spent a bit of time rattling off, <laughs> please tell me that the trust, <laughs> that the trust, the trust was not successful in, in stewarding Wrexham Football Club and compared it with the 20 years before. You've you've made the case extremely and made it extremely well. I, I'm not here to offer my opinion. Maybe that's just my employment background shining through. <laughs> I'm just here to give you maybe the the alternative viewpoint. Now, how about you know what would you say then to people who would say that the trust has you know the, turned the club into almost a sort of done well on the community side of things, but ultimately on the pitch has failed. What what, what would you say to them? Uh, and uh, I, I would I would agree. Um, and the reason why I would agree is because our number one aim was to get us promoted back to the Football League. We never managed it. But as I said earlier on in the interview, there are reasons, not excuses. There are reasons why, uh, you know, why we never managed it. But, you know, some people, you, you know, it's up for other people to judge whether, you know, if we make it this season, I pray to God that we do, that, um, four seasons breaching the playoffs out of 10, whether that, given our financial constraints, is a good return or not, that's for others to judge. I think, you know, we talked, we touched on the, on the managers earlier and we'd said that that may be being a criticism and then we went through the first part and, you know, it, it looked a pretty, it was a pretty good message, a pretty good sort of record. If we go to the second part then, um, obviously Keith's got the job, he, his first spell, he did he did well. He took us from you know relegation to, to near playoffs left, and you know there's a lot of sort of there's a 50-50 people. You know, do they do they not like him for leaving Walsall, or do they respect his decision? And after that, Sam Ricketts again looks a good sort of appointment who did quite well. Then we get to Graham Barrow and, Barrow and Brian Hughes. Now, if you could sort of just take us through the sort of the Barrow appointments because there's sort of Question marks well, can, over can, really. I, can, I, can I take you back to go yeah, forward? Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, yeah. If, you, if you don't mind, if you go back to Dean's uh, Dean's appointment when when Dean came in, um, you know we we we'd had a, a a terrible time. We wanted to conserve money, and Dean did an amazing job. Dean and I sat down together, and we went through and we looked at the whole squad, and we had a we had a plan for it. You know, we got ourselves safe, and then we had a plan for every player. You you know you. We uh, we knew Curtis Tilt wasn't going to stay, so we sent him out on loan to save a wage. We, you know, we uh, we offered John Rooney something, but he wasn't going to accept at that level, so we sold him uh, to Geisley. Um, and we had a similar plan for absolute. So Dean came in really, really focused, did a great job, and then turned us into um, from what had been a really poor season in just twelve months into playoff contenders. Mm. Now, I'm going to put yourselves in in Dean's position, and I'm not going, I'm not here to be an apologist for for Dean. Um, but put yourself. Uh, at, let's let's use you, Andy. Okay, you, <laughs> you're managing you're managing Marine. Okay, in the in the in Northern Premier Division. Okay, you you just you're in the playoffs. You've got ten games to go. Okay, then Wrexham give you a call and say they want you, Andy Gilpin, to be Wrexham's manager. You used to play for them, captained them, supported them as a kid. It's two divisions higher, and you're going to get a much bigger salary, albeit that wouldn't have been a consideration. Mm. Are you staying at Marine, 
<laughs> or are you taking your one chance that you may have in your life to manage Rex and what are you doing? I mean, I seriously, I never really had an issue with, with these. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I know, I know you may not, may, you may not have done, but what I, I'm using you as an example, right? Yeah, no, fair enough. You, well, you, you, picked the right, you picked the right person then because, yes, okay, if it's more money, it's a higher league and it's the club that I've supported since a boy. I would, I would probably leave, but I would do it with regret, and I'd like to probably do it at the end of the season when I've finished my job. Yeah, with that with my, the, that, my other side. That was the only bugbear. Right? Anybody with half yeah. a brain cell can see wh- where he was coming from. So it's, it's once you never know if that opportunity is going to come around again. It was merely just smacked a poor timing, but that's just the way it yeah, is. It was, it was poor timing. And, you know, I, I can remember getting the call off, off Dan Mole, who's their chief executive. And, and um, I, you know, whilst, uh, whilst I wasn't unpleasant, um, I wasn't particularly friendly uh, with him when I, re- when I received the call. Let, let's put it, let's put it that way. And I give him a bit of a hard time, to be honest. Um, so, but Dean wasn't going to go, um, and you know they persuaded him just to go and have a look round, and and then you know it, the the rest is history. But but that that's that story, and then then you move forward. Um, well, it was Andy Davis is the next thing, isn't it? Because there's ten days, there's ten games yeah, to go. It's it's a crucial part of this. So, yeah. So if you if you look at when uh, Kevin Wilkin left, mm. if you can remember when Kevin. Wilkin left. I think we had eight games of the season to go, and the people we put in charge were uh, Andy Andy Davis and Cal Darlington, and they got sixteen points from those eight games, two points per game, uh, to the end of the season. So, you know, if if you've got that data and that's what's happened before, um, you know, why wouldn't you do? Uh, why wouldn't you do the same thing, right? You know, bringing somebody in by the time you've gone through some sort of process with just yeah. a, such a short number of games to go, and you've got good data, you've got, you know, it, it you know, history shows that it, it didn't work, right? That that's what history shows. Uh, but but that was the thinking and the and the rationale. So uh, that no. the board had at the time. No, that's fair enough. I mean, all, all I can say is going back to when Wilkie left, it seemed to me that Darlington really took the lead there. And I don't know if he had more time from the FAW to, to do that. But no, the second... his, role hadn't cha- his role hadn't changed. Um, you know, his role hadn't changed between first time and, and se- second time. And Carl's and always been very, very committed to the football club. Mm. So in the second time when, when Andy took it after Dean left, it, it, it seemed that Andy Davis was in charge with sort of Darlington in the same sort of role. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that, that made any, any, any difference if that's the way they worked the first time around, but it just seemed that, that Andy Davis yeah. was the man in charge. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and, and the reason for that is Andy would be there, you know, seven days a week, where as Carl, as we all know, you know, had other commitments as well. Okay. When you said um, yeah. Dean, Dean didn't want to go to Walsall, how close was he? Staying was it? Was it 50-50? Well, I, I can remember speaking to Dean. You know, we were talking at, at before six a.m. Um, in the morning, and you know, he he made a decision not to go, um, even though you know they were going to meet his buyout clause. Um, he'd made a decision he wasn't going to go, um, even though he had really great relationships back there, um, and, and you know, it, it just 
you know, they persuaded him to just go and have a look round, and and I said he could, uh, and he went, and and the rest is history, right? But you know, we all I think understand why. So it was tougher than what it might have looked on paper, basically. Yeah, absolutely. There wasn't like knocking on our door saying I want to go. Um, you know, he made a decision not to go. Um, and, and Dean's a good, a, a really decent fella, as you will have heard from both Mark and um, and Andy Morell in in previous chats, right? Yeah. Should you not have let Dean go for a look around then? <laughs> you can't. We we are not um, we are not uh, you know we're not mill owners from the uh, <laughs> from the eighteen hundreds, right? Um, you know what I mean. Um, you know you you treat people as you would expect to be treated yourself, and and that's what you know that that's the the mantra I've all lived by anyway. Well, I think we can get on to um, some uh, maybe more recent events uh, yep. later on. But perhaps before that, we could go through our mighty heroes and complete our greatest Wrexham eleven of the last 30 years. Tim, talk us through the team so far. Well, it's shaping up to be rather special, to be fair. So in goal, Andy Marriott, undisputed king of the net. Left back, Phil Hardy, you'll never beat him. Central defensive partnership of Joseph Jones, Brian Carey. Then you've got right back, Carlos Edwards, but that's a contentious one, as we know. And then the midfield three, we've got Brian Hughes on the left, Gareth Owen on right, Darren Ferguson in the middle. And then up top, we've got Carl Connolly and Gary Bennett which leaves us with one more spot. Just ever Wrexham team that we've seen in our lifetimes. Liam Disclaimer. <laughs> I was just Liam Hissing Hissing like a Canadian goose. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Um, Andy, let, let's rattle through this then. Spencer can help us decide, but let, let, let's, let's make the case first. Andy, you go first. You've got 60 seconds for your nomination for our last attacker. Three, two, one, go. All right, I'm going to go for Chris Armstrong, who was a modern-day striker all the way back in 1989. Okay, his goal record wasn't great with two spells in the Dragons, but he brought much more to the team. First spell, Chris, was pace and power back in the days when that was actually something new. If you look back at the 70s, you had brilliant footballers who they tried to make into athletes. If you fast-forward to the 90s, you had great athletes, and they were trying to make them into footballers. I think Armstrong was one of the latter types. He was a real handful of defenders, he maybe didn't have the natural skill of others, but what he did have was frightening to defenders. Let's take nothing away from him, though. He was a top player and played at the highest level with Palace and Spurs. He was also the closest player Wrexham ever produced to getting an England cap. He was actually much closer than Brian Hughes. He was, ne- he was called up to an England squad but never made it onto the pitch. But most importantly, Chris was a maverick, being the first ever player, okay, he was the first ever to be banned from drug offences in the Premier League. Let's that, uh, gloss over that. He was a maverick striker from Clyde Welfare. Time. What's not to love about that? Good timing for you, Gilpin. Not bad. Okay, uh, Tim, you're up next. Three, two, one, go. Right, I've gone for Steve Watkin, local lad done good. Watkin netted 57 goals in 204 appearances for the Reds between 1989 and 1997. 
He struck 21 times in the 92-93 season as he and Gary Bennett formed a deadly partnership in attack as we won promotion. Uh, Connolly down the wing, nobody to stop him. He always put the ball in the air for Super Stevie Watkin. But Stevie was so much more than just being decent at headers. Sometimes tricky, but always tireless. Watkin did the dirty work required of strikers, tracking back and tackling whilst Benno Goldhung was having a cigar. Basically, Mickey Thomas's goal free kick against Arsenal is the one often shown on TV, but it was Watkins' less glamorous, glamorous sliding side-footed finish past David Seaman that dumped Arsenal out of the FA Cup in 1992, thus creating the biggest cup shock in the competition's history. But he's known for much more than that. He's contributed and contributed tirelessly to Wrexham over the years. Five seconds. And I just thought he did a lot of donkey work for Benno, who got all the plaudits and helped us win promotion. So, yeah, Steve Walking gets my vote. There we go. Bang on time. Nicely done. Liam, you can go next so I can save myself to last. Uh, three, two, one, go. Okay, so Reese and I have had a bit of a mighty hero swap this week. And I'm going to nick his previous nomination of Lee Trundle. Trundle was without a doubt the most entertaining player I've ever seen at the race course. He was a real footballing magician and scored too many memorable goals to mention in 60 seconds. But that overhead kick at Whitewall saw will live long in the memory. Then there was the unforgettable hat trick against Oxford at home, after which a young Liam Ramble got Trundle's name printed on the back of his shirt. Uh, along with Andy Morrell, he helped fire us to promotion in the 2002-03 season. We often played the role of provider to the informed Moz of that year, another string to his bow. I was absolutely heartbroken when he left us to go to Swansea in the summer of 2003. Who'd want to live in a place like that? Uh, but I kept the Trundle shirt, and we recently heard from me on this podcast, and he gave a pretty damn good reason for his departure, so all is forgiven. As the commentator said in his summary of the Walsall game, he was Lee Trundle by name, but certainly not by nature. Did Liam Randall refer to himself in the third person then? He did, yeah, he did, yeah. He may have, yeah. <laughs> Tim Edwards okay. approves of this. I'm going to go last. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've got I've got a stopwatch, so if someone just wants to count me in, I'll go. Okay, three, two, one, go. Okay, as Liam mentioned, I'm also going to make a renomination. I'm going to pick oh. up where Liam left off last week and make another case for Andy Morrell. I think he deserves another hearing for this team. Let's just remind ourselves, 34 goals in 45 games. Ludicrous statistics, best in the UK that season. As Liam mentioned last week, there wasn't a typical Andy Morrell goal. He scored headers, he scored screamers, he scored tap-ins at the back post, he put his body on the line for the town time and again in his first spell and his second spell. You don't get points in this game for being a nice guy who loves the club, but Andy Morrell was a bloody nice guy who bloody loved the club, so I think he deserves another hearing for that reason. Too many great goals to mention. Um, basically, the last 10 games of that 03 promotion season, he was totally unplayable. The goal against Brighton, that ridiculous flying volley that Liam mentioned last week. When he came back, he may have lost a yard of pace, but he still scored some crucial goals. Andy Morrell deserves to be up front in this team. A lot of pointing there, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, that was me in my sort of. I thought I thought you were going to turn into Bruce. Role. I thought you were going to turn into Bruce Forsyth at one point. You say you don't get too many points, or, to, or was it Jim Bowie? And down the sort of game show right, catch Spence, Right, Spencer. Immediate thoughts on those four nominations. If you're going for um, a front line that's going to play well together, you could have Watkin, uh, Bennett, and Connolly. Right. That's so, proven. <laughs> so, so that that's proven, right? So if you're going down that route, that there's a good 
there's a good option. If you're going down the skill route, I'm afraid there's nothing uh, more than Trundle. Um, and if you're going for the, you know, the hard work uh, of a Watkin with a little bit more quality, maybe, um, you're going for, but never play together, you're going for Andy Morell. I'd personally take out Chris Armstrong, even though he's got the best dreadlocks now I've ever seen. And um, and he's also, uh, you know, he did the, the best for, you know, he, he probably got the highest um, of, of any Wrexham player, really, in in, in uh, recent uh, memory, but but I, I'm not sure he played enough games, and you know he was never as iconic. I I don't think for Wrexham, he, he sort of did better after he left the club. So rather than his high points, um, so oh, wow. well, that's not a bad thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But there's your choice, really. Skill, mm. power. Well, I, I I think Spencer mentioned it. If you want and and uh, if you want a Watkin with a little bit more skill and a nose for goal, it's Andy Morrell. I think you I think you got Connolly, Bennett, Morrell. That would be my front three. But where's the entertainer? Where's where's the trundle? <laughs> it's not the most entertaining eleven. We'll do that. It next is. Season. <laughs> Liam Liam's currently juggling at his desk now, trying to be an entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. It's, Gary uh, Bennett was entertainment to... just on his own, so <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, you're um, you're out with Chris Chris Armstrong because Spencer's already just cut you off. So uh, where where's your vote going? Um I'm not happy with the renominations, but <laughs> but Trundle gave me some of my finest moments as a Wrexham fan. Um we can't have two left-sided. Well, I know he's well, that, that's, left Yeah, I mean, though. that's... I mean, but I, I don't think it matters. I think Trundle plays wherever, wherever yeah. he wants. Um, I do like Morel, though. I think it's between those two. I really do. Um, I like Steve Watkin because when I was growing up, it was a local lad, a lad from Akravaya, which is the next, next village along from me. You know, a lad you sort of looked up to. I, I think for the makeup of the side, I would go Morel. But for the actual entertainment and for a classic skillful side, I'd go Trundle. So I think I'm edging towards Trundle. He <sighs> looks pain there. <laughs> <laughs> I love Lee Trundle. Great player. Um, are we at a bit of an uh, impasse here, aren't we? Tim, if you're Andy's, Andy's struck off Watkin, I'm not sure we, should, we need to do that uh, yet. Uh, 100% no doubt it's Lee Trundle. Every time, all day, every day, it has to be him because, you know, take the goals out of it or whatever. Like Liam said, it, you would go to the match, even if Wrexham were, were poor that day, you'd still be talking about him at the end of the match. doesn't matter if Wrexham won or lost, you'd still be talking about him. Do you remember that bit of skill? Remember that showboating thing he did yeah, long, yeah, before yeah. It, long before it was on Soccer AM? So it was always, there was always this caveat of if Wrexham were rubbish, you would still talk about that moment of magic that Trundle produced. And and we've never had anybody like that since. No, I think you, I think Tim's right, because I used to like going away. And even if we were 2-0 down, we still had that player that could turn, some, turn the game, do something that you didn't think was possible, get, you know, get us a, get us a, a late winner with a piece of magic. And Trundle could do that. Yeah. And for me... But who scored the goals? <laughs> We've got Bennett to score the bloody goals, mate. Don't yeah, worry no, about who that. scored the goals? Carlos Edwards is a right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'll just caveat it by saying I do love Andy Morell. Like he, he's probably one of my all-time favourite Wrexham players, but it's it's just for that thing of having an entertainer in the side. Okay. Spencer, think... have you had a definitive vote yet? Because I think you sat on the fence a little bit there. <laughs> I give you guys, I give you guys, you know, the the my, my thoughts. I, I didn't know you wanted me to vote, right? I know. We're getting to the stage now where we need a vote. <laughs> you, you want to vote from me? Yeah, yeah. go on. Oh, that's it's. I, I'm as it's tough, isn't it? Right. Don't think um, about it. Just say so, it. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to go for Morel. Oh. Yes. What, where does that and, put us? And, and the reason the reason for Morel is, um, I, it's sentimental as well as anything else. He came. He played for us twice. He played more more games. Lee didn't play that many games. Uh, you know, Trundle's more of a a Jack legend now than he is uh, Wrexham, so that counts against him, I'm afraid. Uh, and Morel did a great job as as manager as well, and could hold down a, a playing berth whilst they're uh, managing the team. So for all those reasons, uh, I'm afraid, you know, we got the goals in in Bennett. I, I think we'll do better with Morel in that side. I so agree. But I think that we're outvoted, Spencer, because I think we've got Andy, Tim, and Liam going for Trundle. Is that right? Because I mean, what we could do, I mean, well, if that, if that vote's right, then fine. I was going to say we, we could put that to the uh, to the Twitter poll vote as is our last. Perhaps play. that's the, the solution. I think that's a really good idea. That's a good idea. Let's do yeah, that. Really then that idea. way we can all um, back out of making a, this controversial decision. <laughs> <laughs> Take to Twitter on the release of this podcast. You guys get to vote for the last member of our mighty heroes. Coming up next week on part two of the Spencer Harris interview, we ask him all of the big questions Wrexham fans want answering, including why Dean Keats was reappointed, and a particular question about a rumoured controversial ping-pong match under the lights. There have been rumours going around that you were ticked off for uh, a a ping-pong match. Can, Can you shed any light on whether that is true? So, um, what I would say about uh, about Wrexham Football Club and the documentary, <laughs> you're not laughing now. You're you're waiting waiting for it. I'm going to make you wait. What I would say is, come back next week to find out more. Okay, prediction time. There's one game left, so this is crucial. We're going to find out next week. Well, in the next podcast, we'll know who's going to be changing their uh, profile photo on social media. Andrew, what's the scores and the doors? Um, well, you're still way, way, way ahead. Um, you are the Sutton of this production, prediction yes. leagues even. Um, and it's as we were the rest of it because we all got it wrong. So none of us went for a Notts County win. Um, everyone went for a Kings Lynn win, but no one went for five three. So we all got two points. So Reese, I think that puts you on twenty five. I think I'm on, I'm on eight with Tim with Liam and Liam's bringing up the rear of six. 
Okay, so Liam needs a result this week, basically. So just like, just like the football club, Christ. <laughs> so I'm going to give Liam the opportunity to go after Andy and Tim because oh, I what? think that's fair because he has to predict something different, doesn't he? Otherwise, you guys could just predict exactly the same. Okay. Um, so Tim, let's go with you first. Uh, Liam can the, predict exactly the same as what we put. Yeah, but then he he won't won't overtake you, will he? Do you know what I mean? Because he's two points behind you. So, um, Tim, Dagenham Redbridge away. It's the decider. A win guarantees us a spot on the playoffs. A draw might be enough. Uh, What are you going for? Um, I'm going to go 3-1 Wrexham. I know, I know. I just think that, you know, if they... If they if they really sort out the um, the defensive frailties that that were evident at the weekend, we should have enough up top of them. Um, I, ju- I just think, you know, we, we seem to have, have, have failed in, under high pressure games. So surely one is due. <laughs> yeah. And this one, if, if if you're going to do it, do it when you need to do it. And, and this is the one. So I just think he needs he needs to really pull all the stops out. They just need to. It's a cup final, isn't it? They just need to go mm. into it with attitude and. I think we'll be all right. So I'm going to go 3-1. I'm going to go bold. Okay. Mr. Gilpin? Uh, I'm not going to go as bold. I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to go for one each. I think it's a high-pressure situation. Um, I do actually think a a draw might be enough. Um, But I don't think... I don't think we're going to have enough to beat them. They've got nothing to play for. They're a decent side. Uh, we're going to be nervier than they are. Now, that could work in two ways. We could go out and absolutely steamroll them, but I just I can see it being a bit more nervy, so I'm going to go one each. Okie dokie. I'll go next, then, Liam, to get like, give you the chance to go last. I, I'm inclined to agree with Andy, actually. In my head, I was going either 1-0 Wrexham or 1-all. I'll go 1-all. I just got this feeling it's going to be really tight. I could see us maybe sneaking a 1-0. Um, but there's a very good chance that a draw would be enough. It, you know, they're not going to know that until the 90, 90th minute next week. But who knows? Yeah, I'm going to go one all as well. Uh, Liam, come on, here's your chance. What are you going for? So Seven nothing, two. <laughs> <laughs> nothing is certain in life except for death, taxes, and crushing defeats when it matters the most for Wrexham. Um, so with that in mind, and the fact that I don't want to wear a Chester shirt, I'm going to go. For for 2 1 to Dagenham and Redbridge. Oh, oof. Oof. I, don't, I don't want it to happen. Mm. You're going to be blocked no. by a few more people. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing new. Fair enough. Well, there, there we have it. We'll know next week what the result is. Thank you very much again for um, downloading the podcast. Remember, you can email us, fearlessindevotion at gmail.com. And please remember to engage with the Twitter account, fearlessindevotion. Um, next week, we'll have the second part of our Spencer Harris interview. Lots of really good stuff in there. Um, but until next time, see you soon. Bye. Uh, see ya.